0: For those who are here in this service, and for those who might be listening outside these walls, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. And this is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message, the second Sunday morning here in January. And I invite you to join me. You'll find our passage of study in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 10. We'll continue our studies here together in the second discourse that Matthew gives that our Savior, Jesus Christ, taught his disciples, whom he names apostles here in this passage. And so I invite you to join me in Matthew chapter number 10 as uh, we begin to uh, take this phrase by phrase, word by word, looking really at, I don't know any other better way to call it than just the master's men. He's the master, and these were the men he called, and they said, yes, Lord, even Judas did, yeah, the one that betrayed him said, yes, Lord, and and then he empowered them and sent them out to to do ministry. And uh, I urged some caution last time about keeping context in the back of our mind when we read a passage like Matthew 10. Uh, I don't want us all going out of here thinking that we're all official, you know, apostles because, well, I mean, let's just make the ground level at the beginning. Have you seen the risen Lord? If you have, you need to make an appointment to see me right after the service. We need to talk. Yes, amen. So Matthew chapter number 10, I'll read verses 1 and 2 together. Follow along with me if you would. And when he, that's Jesus, had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, Who also betrayed him. Lord I pray and lean upon you. During this hour I ask that you would speak to us. Concerning your word. Hide me behind the cross Lord. May you be magnified. And may your name be magnified. But Lord you promised in your word. That your word would be magnified. Above all your name. And as we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. As that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And those that looked and lived. As we sang about earlier, Lord, you are our salvation. We look to you, Lord, for life. And these that you called had already tasted that, at least the 11 faithful had. Lord, I thank you for their testimony that they were willing to be sent out at your bidding. And Lord, what you did is a demonstration of your power and your glory, that they were able to accomplish the exact things that you sent them to do And you also, Lord, help them to know what to expect as they went out to serve you. In a sense, Lord, we still take up this mantle and we serve you, Lord. And we plead with you for the gifts of spiritual healing to be upon your church. We pray, Lord, that you would give us victory over all satanic opposition and power. But Lord, may we understand clearly a little better this passage. And may it help us as we apply it to our life to minister for you, for those that would follow you and give their life for you, Lord. I pray that you'll bless them and watch over them, but give them great peace to know that wherever you lead them, you'll be with them as you promised. And Lord, our commission, unlike these that were sent only to the house of Israel, our commission, Lord, today, as your church, is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And yet, you still vest that same authority In your church, Lord, the authority that comes from you on high. May we understand that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against what you want to do. And Father, I pray that souls would be saved through your people and all that we're able to accomplish in the time you give us. Bless and move now as only you can. And I'll thank you for being the great physician this morning to spiritually work on us, and myself included, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen. Amen. It's interesting to me when I read through the gospel of Matthew, after we studied through the Sermon on the Mount, we spent many weeks doing that, probably months actually, and and I really enjoyed seeing that message that Jesus gave on that hillside that day. When those, as we mentioned, you know, they were his followers, they came to him and he sat down and then he taught them and others heard, and that was a wonderful message. After he left there, if you read Matthew, I mean, right away, he came down from that that message on the mountain that he gave to his disciples, that first ministry message, and he began ministry immediately. I mean, he was doing the work of the gospel. He was healing the sick. He was causing the blind to see. He was making the lame to walk. He was doing this immediately after that message. And through these passages of Matthew 8 and 9, you see Jesus busy about ministry. And he's doing, what struck me as interesting, is he's doing exactly what he's going to ask his disciples, not even, let me change my words on that, he's going to command them. You know, he's the king, right? He's the Lord. And he doesn't once back down from his authoritative position on that, but he commissions them and sends them out. But notice it is to do the exact things that he was already doing. And he gave them power. And if you do a comparison, you'll note that Matthew is very specific in his wording. I try to emphasize it a little bit. Maybe you caught it. Maybe maybe I read it uh, too fast or something. But if you look at what Matthew says, he says in verse number one, he gave them power. Jesus gave the disciples, the twelve, power. And we'll talk about that word in a moment. But notice he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal here it is. All manner of sickness. And again, it's emphasized. All manner of diseases. What were they doing? They were validating his authority. Remember, as he closed the sermon on the Mount, they were in awe. They were astonished at his doctrine because he taught, not as the scribes, but he taught as one having authority. And on that authority... He goes out and begins to heal people and to to do the work of the gospel that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. He does that, and then he brings these men along. He calls them to him now, and he says, it's your turn to go and validate this message from God. He gives them the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gives the audience, you're to go to Israel alone. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not to the Gentiles yet. It's to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. That's how it all falls out. What a time. Can you imagine? I mean, just put yourself in one of their shoes. Pick one. I don't care. I mean, maybe you want to pick Peter because, well, we can relate with Peter on a lot of errors. Maybe you want to relate with the public. Maybe you like to collect taxes. Well, it's that time of year. You're going to be getting in today with all the tax stuff now, right, Till April 15th. Jesus has these 12, and each one of them, they have a ministry to do. And it, it just is neat to look at them. I, I didn't get much past verses 1 through 4 for quite some days, actually, just digging and looking and enjoying the lives that I could find as was recorded on these men. Uh, the first part of the listing is, well, there's, there's a lot of fodder there, you know, I mean, I could preach a whole message, a whole series of messages on Peter, I could preach a whole series of messages on James and John, I could... I mean, there's lots there. But by the time you get down towards the end of the list and you're looking at the, the latter portion of the 12, it gets pretty sparse as to what they did. And sometimes all we have is just the list of their name listed in the disciples. And we can learn something from that too, can't we? Our God is a great God. He is, he is in control. And nothing takes him by surprise. You see, from day one, after his baptism, he was on a mission. And he began that ministry. gave that first message. He did the work of the gospel there in uh, chapters 8 and chapter 9. By the time you come to chapter number 9, the close of it, our Lord is moved. And that's a powerful word. He is moved with compassion. What touched his heart so much? You know the answer. You've read Matthew 9. You know what we pray for. We pray, Lord, send laborers into the harvest. The fields are white in the harvest. What was it that moved our Lord? He looked on his people. He looked on, on the people, primarily Israel. He looked on them and he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. Well, we can spend a whole series of messages talking about why they didn't have a shepherd anymore. Was it because God abandoned them? A good question. I'm glad you asked. Why don't we have a series of messages on that and you can come back later and I'll fill you in on but Israel had gone into judgment because of idolatry. They had walked away from Jehovah and all that Jehovah had promised to do. And God, true to his word, as he said judgment would come on them, he sent judgment on Israel. And now by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they are dispersed. Uh, they are no longer a nation with a king. They are at the whim of Rome. They are under the rule of others. But yet, yeah, they've, they've held on to so much. They've held on to their culture. They're, they've held on to their heritage and their language and, and their religion, at least of the Old Testament. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees have taken that. and They've made their own self-righteousness out of it. I wonder if Jesus couldn't relate very well with Jeremiah sometimes when he looked at the, quote, shepherds of Israel of his day. We saw a little of that in the Sermon on the Mount when he was really making a distinction between what the Pharisees were teaching in their self-righteousness and the true way of God, the the change that comes from the inside out, not just a conforming to a standard or following this list of do's and don'ts, but it's what God sees on the inside that matters. And our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. That was Jesus' message So by the time you come to chapter 9, he has been working and And ministering, he looks out at these people and he sees them as sheep having no shepherd. And he encourages his disciples, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. That he send forth laborers into the harvest. I'm glad you're sitting down. Because their prayer got answered. Right here in chapter 10. You see, the very ones that they were to pray for, they became. Don't check out on me. You know I love you. If you're saved, if you've believed the Lord Jesus Christ and have trusted Him for salvation and have eternal life, then there's work to do. You're called. And God has gifted you to do something for Him. And we pray, Lord, would you send forth laborers? Lord, would you send more missionaries? Lord, let us plant more churches. Lord, let us see churches reproduce churches. Lord, let us see more converts. Let us see more people get saved. Let us see more go out in the field. I want to see that just as bad as the next one. There came a day in my life where I'd already been praying for that. And the Lord showed up on my doormat. And he said, you've been asking, are you ready to answer? I said yes Lord here am I send me I didn't know what else to say I had good examples to follow you know there's a man in Isaiah chapter number 6 that saw the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord asked him a similar question who will go for us Isaiah just humbly said here am I Lord send me that was after the cleansing and purging by the way and after he was right with God but he said here am I I think of Abraham I think of Jacob I think of Samuel I mean the, the Bible is full of people who answered that call and said Lord I know. here are 12 that had already heard Jesus say, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They'd already heard that. They'd already given their life to follow Him. The Lord will follow you. They've listened to his messages. They've seen him work. They've seen what he's done. He's changed people's lives. He's healed them. He's helped them. He's set them free. What a great Savior we have. And if you know Jesus, you can testify to the fact that he has broken your bondage. He has paid your sin debt. You don't have to worry about being in trouble with God anymore. He has set you free. And then he promises to be with you everywhere you go. What a Savior. And that same Savior then comes and he calls them. And he says, I've got something you need to do. And here's your commission. These apostles are not going to be sent out prepared for failure. He's not going to set them up for failure. With the calling comes a gifting. And he gifts them. He equips them for what he's called them to do. Now this is where we need to be careful, right? We need to make a distinction. We need to keep context in the back of our mind. Because the gifts that they received by the Lord Jesus Christ, the ordination to be a full-fledged apostle, that gift served its purpose in the church. And so we're not all apostles in the official sense, but we're all sent ones if we're saved and we're following the Lord. We can all have that apostleship in that regard, in a and more of a, a loosely used of the word. Okay, I'm not saying we're official apostles, so please, please hear me out on that. But isn't it interesting what he gifted them to do? Oh, if we could get this, what did he gift them to do? He gifted them with power against the devil, amen? He gifted them with power against all these unclean spirits. You study, it's devils. There's devilry. And we brought up the, the context last time we were together about the spiritual warfare in which we'll engage when we heed this call. It is a very real spiritual warfare. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So while we might not run around wearing you know, our robes and our sandals like they did and go around and you know exercising everything that we can find, there's a joke that goes behind that, I'll leave that for another time. We do. I mean, do we not have the power of Jesus' name against unclean spirits today? Has the church sort of forgotten that? We don't fall off the wagon on it, we? we don't you know swing the pendulum, we want to stay, we wanna stay. We want to stay true to the scriptures, okay? We don't want to take it in an area where God never intended to go, but the gift is real. And every one of his members is gifted in a different area in a different way. Paul expounds on this. Peter expounds on this. If you go read their epistles in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul does a great job, I think, of expounding the gifts that God gives to the church. And why he gives them. If you want a good summary as to why God gives gifts to the church, I think 1 Corinthians 14 uh, and verses 20 and around that area will show you a good reason. Because people that come and see us gathering and doing what we're doing, or they hear the message and they see the gifts of God on the church, what's the whole point of it? That they fall down and worship God. Doesn't that coincide with what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? That uh, people should see our good works. Because then they might glorify God in heaven. And so when they see how God is gifted, then they might turn their attention to him in a deeper way, in a greater way, and they just might get right with God. And so we don't use our gifts for our own benefit. But the gifting of God comes to enable us for ministry, just as they were enabled to do a specific, special task. What is your gift? What is has God gifted you with? You know, we've got all these fancy systems that we try to do, and we give you these spiritual gifts tests, and you can take them and fail them like I do. And and what's that to do? It's to help you find maybe where God has gifted you, but really you and the Holy Spirit are the ones that need to know that. And if you'll get alone with prayer and just ask the Lord, I guarantee He'll tell you, Lord, what's my gift? Lord, show me where you've strengthened me to be your arm or your feet or your eyes or your hands. Lord, what are you burning my heart to do? What is it that I can be an extension of you for? As they went out, they went with the gifting of Jesus on them to do exactly what he had done to validate that connection, that message from God. He gave them power. He gave. I could stop right there. That's wonderful. He gave power. What is that, exousia? That is authority. Dunamis would be the capability aspect that he enables us to do the work. But this here is authority because he's the Son of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And from God's throne on high, he works through Jesus Christ, his Son. And Jesus Christ, he gives these authority and nothing can stand in their way. Why do I say that? Because of the word all and this is where my ministry differs from theirs. I'm sure, Brother White, there have been times when you felt more helpless than any time in your life. When you have to watch someone going through something where if you had the gift of an apostle, you could just, there it goes. It's all gone. But we can't because we're not here to validate that sign that Jesus is Messiah. We're here to preach the gospel the ends of the earth. Now I pray and I seek for healing and I should do that and if God has gifted me uh, with a with a certain sense of the gift of healing as is unfolded in the local church in 1 Corinthians 12 there is a specific gift of healing uh, you know God heals, he does all healing is divine healing but do I believe in divine healers not today okay I don't want to get burdened down with this but let me just give you some food for thought we have the Apostle Paul. We have the record of his life in ministry, right? The Apostle Paul was gifted to be able to heal just like these were. He was the Apostle born out of due time, and he also uh, did many things. In fact, we have record of people trying to get his, his handkerchiefs and things just so that they could get healed. Okay, if, if that's the case, if Paul could just go in and clear out a hospital, why would he tell Timothy, go take a little wine for that stomach's sake? Why wouldn't he just say to Epaphroditus, it's all right. Just get up and go. Because by that time, if you study the New Testament out, by that time, the gift was waning and it was coming to a close because the ministry had been validated. These men are going to become the foundation of what Jesus is going to build. He's the chief cornerstone and is on, according to the book of Acts, it is on the doctrine of the apostles and of Christ that the church is built. Doctrine divides, And so... Doctrine is key. Doctrine is important. But if we have all truth and no love, we wind up in the same predicament that Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus over because we leave our first love. we can deal with the Nicolaitans, we can deal with those that have false doctrines, but we can't demonstrate the love of Christ. Why? Because we're negating our gifts. And we're not being moved with compassion like our Savior was anymore. We, We become callous, if you will. We begin to go through the motions and think we have it all nailed down. We can't look out and see needs like we once were sensitive to do before. It happens. We're all human. None of us are perfect. But we can all come to the Lord and seek Lord, what have you gifted me with? What do you want me to do for your furtherance of your kingdom? for, For the gospel's sake, who do you want me to help? Maybe I need to say no to myself. What's my gift? What's my area? And then The power against unclean spirits to cast them out, (laughs) claiming the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've had to do this a few times. There have been instances where I just know it was demonic, what I was going through. This was demonic opposition. And sometimes Jesus even told his disciples, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There have been times I can't explain to you. I cannot explain to you logically why victory came, but it did why healing happened, but it did. There's no explanation. It's just God got the glory in that, and he healed. Sometimes I pray for healing, and he answers. Other times I pray for healing, and he says no. But I still have a gift that I can use. Now, healing, we tend to limit it to think about physical healing, don't we? But can I tell you, we still have very much, we we still have in the church today, the gift of spiritual healing. I want—I don't want to be unkind, but can I just ask ask a question, a pondering question, a probing question? Why are we in such need? I'm not saying anything against any practices or anything of that nature. You know, there's a place for therapies. There's a place for therapeutic stuff. There's a place for this. Just don't get mixed up in all the Eastern mysticism, yoga stuff and all. Yoga, if it's therapeutic, that's one thing, but just be careful, the spiritual tracings, okay? There's a very spiritual element to a lot of that, and this mysticism has crept in through the Catholic Church, through Eastern mysticism. Okay, but back to my question. Why do we have such need for all of these little places today? Has the church been doing the best it could do to help people find the spiritual healing that they're searching for. Now, I get it. You can't throw the church all the way under the bus. Okay, it's not the church's fault completely. Is it partially the church's fault? I believe yes. Also, it could be the heart of the people of our society. That might have something to do with the testimony of people in churches today too, where pastors preaching different things that are not biblical. All of this has to work together, doesn't it? I'm just pointing out, we have a lot of places where you can go and get any kind of therapy you want today. Therapy, the Greek word, oh, it means to heal. Can I tell you, people are hungry for healing. I'm convinced that they're not going to find true, deep down, spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. Until they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they'll come to Him so much of what they're dealing with would be dealt with. Now, does that mean it'll solve everything, that I just wave a Bible at people and make everything go away? It doesn't work like that. I understand. But if we come to Jesus, hey, I've seen this in counseling and things that I've done. If I can get people back to the Bible and in a right relationship with God and in prayer with Him and communing with Him and through Jesus and knowing they're saved and getting all those foundational things down, if I can work even in the beginning sessions with them to help them see that, then once they get on their feet with that and they're, they're on a regular devotional diet and they're encouraged in the work, about 94, 95% of what they were dealing with in the beginning goes away. And then we can focus on that remaining, you know, four, three, two, sometimes that 1% of stuff that they're still struggling with. But it just, we need spiritual healing. And the church today, has been gifted by their Savior to help people find spiritual healing. What's your gift? Spiritual healing is still available. Uh, Matthew Henry had some good quotes on this. For sake of time, I, I'll have to skip over some of those. I've got tons of things written down somewhere that I can't find right now, but um, the, the gifts, the spiritual part of it is what we have to do with. It. We want it all physical. We want We want physical healing, but Don't forget about the spiritual aspect of the healing. To cast them out to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. There was no disease that was going to stand in the way of the apostles as they validated the message of Christ. There was no illness. There was no uh, sickness that was going to stop them from being able to validate the power of God. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. One of this. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Who are these master's men that were gifted and empowered to go out and have power over unclean spirits and to heal all manner of diseases? The first name was named Peter. And don't let that word first throw you off. Uh, That's been a stumbling block for some churches down through history. First means first among brethren. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Because if, if we study the life of Peter we have Jesus calling him. He was not the first one to come to Jesus, by the way, because who led him to Jesus? Every Peter needs an Andrew. I don't know if I could preach a whole sermon on Andrew. Maybe I could. Well, maybe if I went to the Church of Scotland and and started digging in some of their annals uh, that they have there in their archives, I could dig out some things about uh, Andrew that aren't in the Scriptures. But... um, Not as much about anger. We just know he's Peter's brother. But Peter, boy, we know a lot about Peter. Peter is the one who opens his mouth more than any and puts his foot in his mouth like I do so many times and likes the taste of shoe. But Peter is the one who said, I'll never deny you and then winds up denying him and then the Lord has to come and restore him that threefold restoration. Peter, do you love me? Peter is the one that Jesus said would be sifted with the other disciples like wheat, but Jesus had prayed singularly for him. And when he made that statement, Jesus told him, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. As the New Testament unfolds, we come to the book of Acts, and we have the record given by Luke of what happened in the early days of the church. In those early days, you had all the disciples gathered together. There's probably 120. You have uh, Jesus' mother is there with John. He's taking care of her because of the handoff at the crucifixion in John 19. We read about all of that. As the church is, as, is getting empowered in the book of Acts, Jesus says, wait. And then he ascends into heaven, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And 50 days come after Passover, and that's Pentecost, 50 days later. And something happens. They all come back to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, and they're all gathered in that upper room. And then things begin to happen. There's a sound as a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues like fire floating on people's heads. I'm not crazy. It's in the Bible. This happened. And people were seeing these cloven. Hearing the wind moving. That was the Holy Spirit that was about to empower the disciples to proclaim the truth. Who was the one out of that group? You know, everybody's pricking up their ears. They're saying, wait a minute. Who are these guys? They're speaking my language. This is Phrygian. And there's a whole list of languages that people were able to just instantaneously know. That's biblical tongues. And they were speaking biblical tongues. And every man heard Peter's message. Whose message? You got it. They heard Peter's message in their own time. Peter stood up and began to preach. And he had all these interrupters, I'm sorry, interpreters all around him. Giving the message in everybody's own language. Now they could understand Peter. Because many of them knew, knew the language that he was speaking in. As he was, but they could also hear it in their own language. And it was to an audience of Jewish people. And on that day on that day, this always struck me as interesting, how in the world could 3,000 people at one time, in one place, finally have it click and say, I get it now. We did kill the Son of God because they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. They knew their Old Testament Bible. And when Peter stood up and said, who did that? Yeah, when Peter stood up and began to preach this message, and the Spirit of God was on them, they were pricked in their heart, and they fell before God, and they realized, they repented. The message of Peter was, you need to repent, you need to change your mind towards God, because you messed up big time. You killed his son. In a nutshell, I'm paraphrasing, that was his message. And it gripped their heart. What must we do to be saved? We, we need to get out of this mess. Let's apply the message to where we are today. Could we gather 3,000 Jewish people who know their Old Testament well enough together in the same room today? And then would we have the same circumstances that we need to reproduce to to validate the prophecies of the Old Testament given so that they could just click with them? I don't know that those circumstances will ever transpire the way they were recorded in the book of Acts. And as the church began to grow, the ministry went out not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also. And the sign gifts were given to validate the apostles' message to the Jews and then to the Greeks. And by the time you close the book of Acts, the gospel had gone around the world, the known world of their day. All Asia had heard the word of God. When you look at what we have, the remains of these men, these 12, it intrigues me to read about different areas they went to. Now, this is just the beginning. You know, they still have to go out by Jesus here in Matthew 10 and 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 do this ministry, they're going to come back rejoicing because what Jesus said happened and they could cast out devils and and they could heal all manner of sickness and they could heal all diseases and what power and they're rejoicing. They're seeing lives change, but then they've got to go through all of the, the life of Christ up to the end. They've got to watch their Savior be crucified and then they're going to be scattered. Then they'll be brought back together again after his resurrection, after he appears to them again. Oh, guess where? In the upper room. When they're gathered together and assembled together. Only then will they be commissioned to go out to the ends of the earth. You look at where these men eventually wound up. And just little snippets that we hear here and there of them. You know, we talk about Peter and his... His ministry at Pentecost, his ministry to Cornelius, his ministry in front of the Sanhedrin and those that tried to arrest him and John. And he said, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. The, the lame man of the gate, beautiful Peter, in his epistles, we have so much about Peter. We don't have that much about Andrew. We have John, the beloved, and, and he, wrote, uh, he wrote his gospel. He wrote three letters. He wrote the book of Revelation. We have a lot to study about John, and we can immerse ourselves in John, the beloved. James, his brother, James... James the Great, right? This would be the James that Herod would put to death. In Acts chapter number 12, Peter made it out. Herod, uh, James didn't. And when Herod saw that it pleased the people, when he executed James, he sought to slay Peter as well. But the angels set him free. That's, that's a difficult thing to think about, Peter going free, free but others suffering persecution because of that. I, I don't know. I think that would weigh heavy on me if I was Peter. You know, I made it out, but why couldn't they? Lord, why couldn't you do it for them? James. James the Great, he's going to have a short-lived life, but he's Boenerges. he's the son of thunder. Cousin of Jesus, him and John, Jesus' cousins. Uh, uh, Peter, where's Peter from? He's from Bethsaida. And he has a fishing ministry in Capernaum. His dad is uh, in, in partnership with James and John's dad, Zebedee. They're in partnership, they're on Galilee, and they have a fishing business. And Jesus comes by the seashore and he calls these men. Well, that's Peter and Andrew. They're brothers. Andrew led Peter to the Lord. And James and John, sons of thunder, they're the ones that said, You want us to call fire down from heaven? And Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Figure that one out, will you? No, it's not time to call fire down, guys. This is Samaria. Our ministry is going to get there eventually. And Jesus' ministry did because of the woman at the well that was there. Remember that? We talked about that. Uh, John chapter 4. Peter and Andrew, James and John. The list goes on. If you look at the list, it's interesting to me. I think I've traced this back as far as Brodus is about as far as I got in his commentary. In uh, John Brodus' commentary on Matthew, he pointed out that there's um, uh, three groups of four. And each one, when you list them out in every one of the Gospels and the Acts, Acts chapter number 1, verse number 13, when you put that next to the three Gospel accounts where they're all listed at the same time, you have the four Four, four, Three sets of four. At the top of that list, the same person's mentioned every time. As you get down the list, some of the names switch places. For instance, here, Matthew kind of puts himself last, I think. He puts Thaddeus before himself, and uh, he, puts, he puts himself last on the list. But Luke is going to put Matthew before Thaddeus. But still, the, the heading, there are men that remain the same in each of the four groups. Peter is at the top of the first group of four. And then you have Philip at the top of the... Next group of four, Uh, and then, let's see, I'm going to mess it up. I don't have it all in my head figured out here. Okay, so let me count. We have uh, Peter, and then we count down three, Andrew, James, and John. That's the four, and you notice the inner circle in that group. Philip is at the top of the next list, and you have with him Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. Matthew, the publican. (laughs) That's interesting. That's a notation we need to pay attention to. Then the next group of four, James the son of Alphaeus, and with him you're going to have Lebeus, that's also that is, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. So by the time you line them all out, you have four, and there's one person that seems to be at the top of each list. Interesting. Now the Philip that's listed here, please don't get him confused with the Philip of Acts. That's a deacon, that's a different man. And that's that's a word of caution I would urge. It's really easy when you get down to the latter part of this list to start saying and conjecturing, you know, this is probably the same guy as that, and this is the same dad as that, and these are really brothers, or this is really his son, not his brother. And it's, I mean, it's just like family reunion trying to put your family tree together sometimes. I'm going, I don't even know where to begin with this. But there are certain clues that we can trace throughout and see how, how Jesus used these men. And if you look at the bigger picture, I think that you'll come away with the same impression that I did. Whether you're first on the list or 11th. I'm not going to go 12th. There's a place for you. Whether your name gets recorded in the annals of church history or whether the only thing we know about you is your name. And maybe that's your name and maybe it's a surname. And all you did for the Lord was fairly anonymous. There is a God in heaven. And he has a son who one day will bring a judgment seat and he will call each of his followers before him. And every idle word will be given an account. And whether you did things anonymously and nobody else knew but you and God, but it helped somebody get saved or it helped. A church in some way, or it helps someone find true spiritual healing through Jesus Christ. Maybe in two or three generations from where you're working right now. Let's branch out a little bit. Let's not put God in the box. I'm telling you, there are going to be things that Jesus knows that He brings forward about His servants that I just I don't know what to think about that day. I'm speechless. Part of me says, Lord, I want to put that off. Give me a little more time. You know, let me do some more for you. The other part of me says, even so, come, Lord Jesus, let's just get this over with and get this world through everything that it needs to go through to be right. And come and fix it all, Lord. Nevertheless, wherever you might fall on this list, well-known or unknown or sparsely known, the ministry matters. And they were given the same power and the same authority across the board. The ground was level. The same ministry that Peter was able to have was the same kind of power that Judas Iscariot was able to have. Interesting. We can do something for Jesus, no matter who we are. No matter where we're at in this list. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Zebedee. Then you have Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew. Uh, Just some notes here. I'm out of time, but just some notes on these names. Philip, um, he had a ministry that went went out and went beyond. We have Bartholomew. Many have said that he's the same as the Nathaniel in John chapter 1. I think there's good precedent for that. You have Thomas and Matthew. Uh, You have James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. Uh, That would be Jude, I believe. Simon the Canaanite, uh, the Canaanite there in other places, he's called Simon Zelotes uh, because he was zealous. So let's think about that in this list as well. In what is attributed, we have the first, we have some of the sons of, we have the brothers of, and then we have surnames, we also have the publican and the Canaanite. Doesn't mean anything to you, does it? <laughs> what do you do, pastor? Is a Canaanite? Canaanite, if he's Simon Zelotes, uh, and depending on how you line it out, you could, you could walk away from this list with either four, definitely four, maybe five cousins of Jesus, uh, depending on what you do at the scene at the cross. Uh, if Cleophas is, Clopas is um, the Mary's husband, then he's. Joseph's brother, then okay, I lost you. <laughs> you could have up to five cousins of Jesus that you call. Hey, families matter. Families matter. But you have a publican, and more is given about his calling than in almost any of the other disciples. You have Matthew, and he's the tax collector. He's the publican. That means he's working for Caesar. And he, he's from Nazareth, by the way. Where did Jesus grow up? But he's, his office is over in Capernaum. Where did Jesus heal, heal the nobleman, nobleman's son? His office is over in Capernaum. Why? Because it's in the transit route. He's on the Sea of Galilee, and he can collect all the customs from there. And he's doing his job there. And Jesus passes by and says, Follow me. And Levi gets up and leaves everything He says, I'm done with this tax collecting job. I'm following Jesus. Amen. I know modern-day Matthew, by the way, and he's modern-day Levi that, that said no to collecting taxes and followed the Lord. Amen? His name's Josh Lane. <laughs> Hallelujah for that. And he's such a blessing. It still happens today. But he's a publican. Now, this is really interesting. If, now, I'm making a little bit of, a, a, of a, an assumption here. If Simon the Cainite is Simon's Zelotes, <laughs> then you do have someone who is known as a, ze- a zealous person, In the following of Christ. Why does that matter? Because, well, the zealots, if he was a member of that class, I'm not saying he was, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but if he was a zealot, they were the ones that were responsible primarily for the downfall of Jerusalem against Rome. And so here you have a tax collector for Caesar alongside someone who is zealous for the laws of Israel and not really a follower of Caesar. Together, following Jesus. Now, a little bit of that is hypothesis. Okay, I understand. But doesn't it speak to how Jesus works today? How much diversity can be found among those that follow Jesus today? We have people that are, that are well-equipped in certain areas and, and other people that are well-equipped in other areas, people that are zealous about this. Hey, Jesus can take you from wherever you are. And mold you into what he wants you to be. Both of these men are going to have to walk away from that polarization. And they're going to have to come to Jesus. And they're going to have to work together instead of against each other. They're going to have to work together for his cause. See, the ground really is level at the cross, And whether you're Peter or whether you're Thaddeus, whether you're Peter or whether you're Jew. And I don't don't know if I'm prepared to say that this is James and Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. I I think there's just too much going on there to connect them too forcibly. Uh, I I do think that after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, his brothers got saved. I know they did. Because we have James, who wrote the letter of James. That's his half-brother. We have Jude, his half-brother as well. And Paul makes an interesting statement in Galatians. I think it's chapter 1, verse 19, about James, the brother of the Lord. So by that time, we know they had come to Jesus and realized who he was. What a list. Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, Bart, they can. Yeah, Bart, follow me. Matthew is going to take the gospel to India, perhaps. You have some of these men that are going to travel as far as Britain taking the message of the cross. Why does the UK flag look like it does? That's the cross of St. Andrew, right? Britain, all the way up in that area. Hey, the gospel is powerful. And it's powerful enough to even pierce somewhere like Boulder. Amen? Somewhere like Broomfield. And people all around us need the healing that Jesus Christ brings.
1: They're looking for it. They're looking
0: for it everywhere they can find it. You have. You have the answer. You've been given a gift if you're following Jesus and if you're saved. Won't you look this week, won't you take some time to get along with God and just ask him, Lord, who needs healing that's around me, spiritual healing? Do they need to be saved or do they need to be encouraged? Do they need to be edified? Who can I exhort with your word, Lord? What verse can I share? How can I point someone to you? How can I pray with somebody? How can I help feed them your word? Someone in my sphere of influence. All week long you're gonna cross. They may not even know you're quoting Bible to them. It might just be at your workstation, and you know, you're given some timeless principles, but guess what? They're out of the book of Proverbs, and that person doesn't even know it. But you're being salt and light. And they sense a joy, and they see the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in you. And it might make them yearn for what Jesus can do in their life. The same way that Jesus calls and gifted here. In many ways, we're called and gifted in some different capacities, I understand. But we still have power over the devil. And we still can help people find spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. Will you be his disciple? Will you take his word? That's my challenge for you today. Don't leave here the way you came. If you need healing, spiritual healing, Jesus Christ wants to help you. And he invites you to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And are heavy laden. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Do you want that rest? Why don't you come to Jesus?